0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across ASEAN. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Lan Doan, CEO of TapTap, which provides loyalty and rewards programs to consumers in Vietnam. Lan grew up in Hanoi and then studied and worked in the U.S., including getting her MBA from Harvard Business School. Seeing the economic potential of Vietnam after graduation, Lan decided to come back to Vietnam to actually be part of that growth. After a few years of management consulting, Lan volunteered to work on a business case for TapTap and became CEO of the entity when it was officially founded in November of 2020. TapTap is a joint venture between Vietnam Investments Groups and UOB, United Overseas Bank. You can learn more about them by visiting taptap.com.vn. And now, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular Apexplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as uh, a knowledge sharing base you can find out more about apix on apixplatform.com and you can find out more about oxygen by logging into apixoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels keynotes uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there i'm
2: super excited to be here today in person speaking with Lon in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, It's the first podcast that we're actually able to record in person. Uh, And this is super, super exciting. Uh, So Lon, thank you so much for joining us today. This is going to be a lot of fun.
3: Sure. Well, thank you for having me and uh, welcome to Ho Chi Minh City. Yes. Thank you so much.
2: Lon. I want to get started talking about your background. I wanted to understand a little bit about your growing up. Did you grow up here in Saigon? Uh, I know you went to college then in New York and then stayed on there for a little while. Can you tell me a little bit about growing up here and then deciding to move to the U.S. for college and then work? So
3: I grew up in Vietnam, um, in Hanoi, actually, up north. I think I benefited a lot from uh, growing up in the city in Hanoi, which is a very fast-changing city. I grew up with a lot of changes in Vietnam. So Vietnam went through a lot of periods, and especially during that time, there was capitalism. The time when uh, when the country went through uh, an adoption of a more open market and then with that um, as a student i was exposed to um to the bustling side of the uh, of the city i i benefited from the public education in vietnam which could there you know they're there and cons. but the the part of the education involved a lot of hard work and education was definitely characterized as an important, very important characteristics of every Vietnamese. And then, you know, you have to study well, uh, you have to study hard, and that's your, your ticket to, to your bright future. That's really imprinted in a lot of, of children growing up um, in Vietnam during my time. And with that, I think that's where I learned uh, all the characters of, of hardworking, going through your dreams of, of determination within the education system. So I went through the public education and especially we have this thing called, you know, like specialized schools, like schools for those who, who sort of can excel in academic and then those who want to focus on competing in academic competition. And I, um, I was very early focusing on that. But then I guess when I was around 16, I think that, that started to become a little limited. And I started to wonder what else is out there. And that's when uh, we started having the internet. And that's when we started um, having you know more exposure to cable TVs, to HBO movies. And I started to see more and more of, of the outside world. And I started to to, to wonder if there is a lot of knowledge, a lot of perspectives, a lot of ways of, different way of doing and way of working that I um, wasn't wasn't aware of like you know within my my bubble and you know, what else outside that so I think at that point I was like okay I want to I want to go out I want to see the war and then for me like it was like for my 16 year old like where would I go that would be most different like right? yeah um, most like just like if you if you already go for it like then go all the way um, so I think you know just for Vietnam just choose a country that Half a global way, literally half a global way, and then had a very different system, you know, economy, uh, policy, etc. Was a very good choice. So then um, I had my eyes set on studying in the States. Mm-hmm. Luckily, managed to get a scholarship to to go to study in upstate New York, <laughs> for example. Yeah, I <laughs> know yeah. it was. It was uh, to To be honest, when I applied, I thought it was New York City, just because of my <laughs> my limited knowledge and. I ended up in in upstate New York expecting to see the yellow cap, obviously there weren't any. But then that that was a really eye-opening experience and then um, after that I stayed to work to gain experience and then went into MBA program uh, with the focus on, with the hope of, you know, uh, after finishing the MBA program going back to Vietnam and see what I can do uh, with all the knowledge and uh, all the skills that I learned um, during my time in the States. Yeah, so I guess uh, that's a bit of a background.
2: Yeah. How I grew up. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think, I feel like as an American, I can say this that there's like a complicated history between the US and Vietnam. And so, you know, being able to, to think about like, you know, what you wanted for your future and say that that's in the US and that's where you're going to go study and work to make those big dreams happen, I think is, is really amazing. Um, and yeah, as you said, you, you know, you did your MBA in the US at HBS uh, and then came back to Vietnam afterwards. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Like what, I think a lot of people, certainly people who have on this podcast, they've, um, some have gone to the U.S. and just stayed there uh, mm-hmm. and have, you know, gone to work in Silicon Valley, they've gone to work in New York and have really then decided to make a life for themselves um, in the U.S. or abroad. But quite a few people are, I feel like, increasingly coming back to Southeast Asia, all of Asia, uh, and, you know, putting, putting those learnings uh, to use here. Tell me a little bit more about how you thought about that. Like what, was there anything in particular in the US that um, you saw that you thought you could apply in Asia or, you know, what was the motivation for coming back rather than staying?
3: I think it's both internal and external. External, it's pretty obvious that Vietnam was growing back when I finished uh, or started MBA and then obviously um, continued the growth When I finished, you know, when you, it's sort of like you look into a market that's certainly still growing but, but nurturing and then a market that is experienced crazy growth and there's so many opportunities and still so there's so many space you can occupy. I think that sort of resembled a period in Vietnam economy. In around 1992 we had this period called Lột Người. I think it's translated to like changing or like renovation and that that's when you know a lot of people Made their, this position right. Made their space, um, made their fortune. That's where. That's sort of like where a lot of the big companies in Vietnam was founded, when you know the the economy opened, and then people who who's willing to risk it, people who's willing to, to get out and try to put in the efforts, put in the dream, um, can can build something really meaningful. And for me, in Vietnam with the rapid growth, it was definitely, and has been a really good time. And Vietnam also saw a lot of companies, tech companies, reaching unicorn status. So certainly externally, it was like, you know, analysis, like it's a good opportunity. Yeah. Um, there's space for me. I think internally, for me, it's just, I think it's just some point, it wasn't something that I originally thought about when I went to the States. It was. But at some points I started to feel like I wanted to to add value and I wanted to add value where I grew up. It just felt emotionally more satisfying and fulfilling. So yeah, it was it was also just like some decision that, that you felt in your heart that it, it was the right decision. And then yeah, couple with like, okay, you know, things are going well and then there, there's a bright future, then why not? So I think that's my journey, but I think that's Probably the same thoughts as a lot of other um, people who, who chose to return. Obviously, you know, there are still a lot of good opportunities anywhere. And then anyone who works hard can uh, can reach the benefits anywhere. But it's probably, for me, it's, it's probably more fulfilling uh, when I feel like, okay, I do something good for myself. But also I also add value, create jobs, create know-hows, create expertise, and then build something good in the
2: land that I grew up. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it, it shows, right? You came back, you worked at BCG, and I assume a lot of your work was around, you know, helping businesses, uh, you know, big corporations grow in this environment, grow in this economy that sounds like it's like bubbling with with innovation and, and people willing to like, work hard and make things happen. Um, I think you also support a couple of organizations, um, Teach for Vietnam and the Fulbright University of Vietnam. Tell me how this like fits into your Vision for like how you feel like you can give back to Vietnam um, and your role in, in you know, building this economy. Mm.
3: Well, thanks for noticing that. I think well, it's kind another thing that's brought back to my original upbringing because yeah. I, I I do think that it, the education was my ticket to growth and to all the old opportunities that I had because you know like. It's certainly through studying hard that I got the scholarship Without that scholarship wouldn't have um, the opportunity to go abroad. And I do feel that education is a very powerful tool um, that could change a person, change a person destiny. So, yeah, it's probably just, just the core of me is still like a, a, you know, a, a studious student, yeah. um, a geek. And then I just naturally drawn to education project and I naturally feel very attached and feel very... I care about, you know, the, the education of, of the future um, generation of Vietnam. Yeah. So, yeah, so those are the two, uh, two uh, education projects that I'm uh, most dedicated to. I think just part of the the educating is a skills building mm-hmm. and the mindset building. Um, and those, you know, we, we do it through education. Currently, uh, we try to do it also through the workforce, those are very important as well. There's something that's also very important to me um, when uh, I run TapTap. So yeah, so one of my goal of, of, you know, going back to Vietnam is also just help building a generation that would also start even much more successful companies mm-hmm. um, in the future. Because I, I do see, you know, the core, the, the rare talents here, yeah, there are a lot of rare talents. But as I have a chance to, to study and to work in the state, I do see that there's still a lot of refining, there's still a lot of training that could help all the talented blossom. Awesome. That uh, could help Vietnam create even more unicorns. There are a couple of unicorns in Vietnam, but very, sexually, very few of them could reach the regional level. It's still very confined to the Vietnam market. Um, and I do think that the up, upskilling, of the of the workforce of the of the future business leaders would create the difference.
2: Yeah. And that's amazing. And so inspiring the way that you want to like pay pay it forward, you know, your education, your building your business paying that forward to the next generation to create even more success in Vietnam. I think that's super inspiring. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yeah. Thank you for doing that good work. That's awesome. Also, and I, and I want to spend some time later talking a little bit more around the um, Vietnam startup ecosystem, um, but I think now we have to talk about TapTap. Sure. Uh, yes. So maybe first things first, you know, I, I mentioned that you, you worked at BCG for a while after you came back, back to Vietnam, but then you took the leap uh, after a few years to start TapTap. How did you decide to start TapTap? Why? What hits? What was that journey like for you, moving from you know corporate Vietnam to you know being a star founder?
3: Yeah, it to me is a uh, is also a pretty natural path. I think I always knew that I wanted to start something, but you know you, you just sort of accumulating your experience, accumulate your conviction, and then when it felt like the right time, you. You, you jump into it. The the right time, the right moment, the right team, the right partners. So yeah, I mean for me it it wasn't like, okay, like I am gonna start something now. I was, you know, had a lot of ideas simmering during my work and then, you know, each of the new projects actually gave me a lot of
1: new knowledge
3: and then perspectives. And then, you know, some things was like, okay, this wouldn't work. This is Probably would, would work a little more. The path to TapTap is actually pretty fortuitous. I I met this team when I was working on a project in UOB, actually one oh, of the wow. uh, shareholder of TapTap, and then I just volunteered to to work on this project, and then uh, we really clicked. And then I thought the idea was very interesting, and then I thought the team is great. We have a, a rock star team and. It just somehow I work really well with them. They brought a lot of knowledge, the market knowledge, the execution expertise in the Vietnam market, and then for me, I was able to bring the strategy perspective, the big picture, and the business perspective, and then things just went from there. And then for me, it was it was a very easy decision. It's just I feel like it just it just happened. And then for me, when things happen like this, it's like. This is the right time right it's uh just have to wrap it I think that yeah it just it is it somehow it, it's just was pretty smooth, and it just felt like one thing lead to another, and then here I am. Yeah, it's almost like the universe put
2: all the right pieces. together. Yeah,
3: it, <laughs> it actually did feel like that, and it was, um it was for me that that's a that's a good energy, right? It's a it's a good feeling, and people felt like, okay, this
2: is this is probably the right thing to do, and you just have to just go with it. Yeah, yeah, and I can you know, even just being here in the office. Like I was saying, like, first time I get to be in someone's office that <laughs> yeah. I'm interviewing, like, you can feel like there's like an energy. It seems like people are. Really productive and working hard, and um, it's, it's really nice to to be in this kind of an office space for sure. So that's that's an amazing you know um, origin story, one. But let's talk about how TapTap actually works. I you know when I arrived in Saigon a few days ago, <laughs> I was trying to download the app on my on my phone. But Apple wouldn't let me. So maybe you can just describe to me and our listeners how does TapTap work? Yeah. Um, so you probably have like a American App Store be we. Uh,
3: we didn't launch yet. Singapore apps. Oh, right Singapore. <laughs> yeah, Okay, Singapore. Yeah. So we focus uh, specifically on Vietnam market. I'll target uh, Vietnamese. Uh, so our apps currently only also only focusing on Vietnamese language. We want to attack the customer journey and the customer relationship with the brand after the first time the customer visit a brand. So I think in the market now, there are a lot of many different options that focusing on bringing new customers to business. How do you best, you know, um, lead generation? How do you best target? How do you best market um, so that you can bring new customers to you? But to us, the you know, that's that's just still that's just some dating. But once you get married to someone, or actually after the first date, there's still so many things um, you can do and you should do right in order to make sure that that person becomes a valuable married to you with a high, with a high customer lifetime value right there there's so many feel like there's so many value that's still left on the table when the business doesn't have the right tool to first establish a relationship with the customer after they visit uh, the business for the first time and then grow that relationship so that you know both sides can can win um, and then from the perspective uh, of the business maximize um, the customers lifetime value you know don't let the customer mm-hmm. go elsewhere yeah. you know make sure that you bring the customers what they want etc etc so the loyalty platform is focusing on that and uh, we start with a loyalty solution because loyalty is, so the first step, the the loyalty solution uh, or loyalty program is first step because that's the first that's the that's the reason why someone give you their phone number or their contact. Without loyalty program, there's no reason why um, someone visit your um, pizza shop mm-hmm. and then. They they would just come and leave and you have no idea who they are and whether they come ten times or just once. But then you have a loyalty program and they have a reason to say, okay, this is my phone number. Next time I come back, I give you my phone number again um, to collect some points. And then from there, the Pizza Shop they think about what they what they can do to deepen the relationship with this customer. So yeah, so that's we, we want to focus on the whole, you know, list of things that a business can do to, to engage and to okay. be a relationship to customers. The loyalty program currently, we we are a coalition loyalty, which increases a little complexity, but it also hopes to increase the win-win relationship across business and also between business and customer. So all the merchants uh, or businesses that onboard us have the options of whether they want to be in the coalition, uh, meaning that they will share the customer pool and at the same time share the reward costs. Because for all the loyalty program, the cost of the rewards uh, could be meaningful, and also all other costs of marketing, you know, cost of developing platform. So now the coalition makes it uh, the loyalty program more accessible to Mm -hmm. all businesses. So loyalty program is not just limited um, to to the big corps. Now you know a noodle store Mm -hmm. um, can all, all also have a loyalty program through us. So that's option one. Option two is also we help. Um, those who want to run their single loyalty program, running them more efficiently on us, mm-hmm. and just in a sense, we just we allow so for from the user perspective with a loyalty platform, where the users can access all their favorite loyalty um, programs through us. Hopefully, would we'll increase the frequency of the users and uh, also the effectiveness of the program um, because these days it's very hard for a uh, user to. To download and to use one single loyalty program frequently, just users get way too many super apps and you know inundated. Uh, yeah, like every, just, every app it's so many. Own. Yeah, so they can't just have like ten different apps or ten different loyalty programs. And from the user perspective, we add the convenience to them and the extra benefit of them capable of earning and redeeming points across different businesses. So yeah, the the the, the goal is. Um, sort of just create a synergies across and then create more of a win-win value to, to the to the users and also
2: all the business partners to join us. Yeah, yeah. So it's for the consumers it's almost like a one-stop shop for all of their loyalty, all of their rewards programs yep. for their favorite brands. And it sounds like um I'm if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there are big brands on there, right, that can maybe create their own platform. But then also it's and those companies may already have a way to create loyalty programs but really a huge impact here is for some of the small merchants who otherwise may not have access to their creating loyalty programs. I know democratizing is like an overused term in the tech space, but it is like democratizing loyalty programs. Um, so I can go to my favorite army shop or you know, stall down the street and they've got a loyalty program. I'm more likely to support, they're already my favorite, but you know, I'm more willing to support them every day. I think yes. that's, yeah. that's really cool. How is, you know, when we say you mentioned there are other uh, rewards programs, you know, there's like Shop Up, I, mean, I work for Graph, Graph has its own <laughs> yeah. rewards program. How does how does TapTap uh, fit in with that? And even some of the uh, the payments players, right? I know a lot of players, they start with payments and they add on rewards as like, you know, a value added service. How, do, how does TapTap you kind know, Think about those uh, those other players in the market, are they competitors? Are they partners? Like, what do you think about that?
3: Mm, okay, yeah, no, that,
2: that's a really good point.
3: So um, let's just bring Grab Rewards as an example. Um, so Grab Rewards, you you earn points when you transact with Grab, mm-hmm. right? And with those points, you can redeem for a bunch of different vouchers and rewards that are provided by Grab partners, um, F&B retail, etc. So uh, from the perspective of, let's say from the perspective of the merchants, those options, uh, the, the benefits of Grab Rewards is uh, for user acquisition for these merchants. Mm-hmm. Because they, they pretty much tapping into the Grab user pool. And then when they provide the rewards, um, they hope to bring some of the users from the Grab uh, pool uh, to them. Versus for us, we focus on the user retention. So we are the loyalty program of these merchants. So that's, I think, come back to the initial um, classification. I think a, a, a loyalty our, our loyalty solutions, let's say the loyalty solutions, focus on building the relationship between the business and the uh, customer actor. There are a lot of rewards options that focus on bringing the users in uh, to the shop in the first place. And then also a the slight, probably another difference between us and probably another cashback is cashback is actually pretty expensive because mm-hmm. it's a direct yeah. cash, right? Uh, versus for us, the loyalty rewards. First of all, I think the the coalition allows the cost sharing because mm-hmm. um, um, the the rewards can be shared across many different business. Also, the the rewards if you create it smartly, um, they could be much more cost efficient while still provide benefits to the users as long as you give them the right benefit. So say, for example, instead of uh, spending a 2% budget for cashback, you can spend a 1% budget for reward, um, but then your user perceives the same values if um, the reward is targeted to them. And then back to the story of the coalition, when you have the coalition, you have a much bigger pool Of rewards, um, and then that increase the value um, to the to the users. So that's uh, what for us we want to to touch into those uh, gaps in order to bring the the benefits for for the customer. Sorry for the merchants. I think for the customer, obviously they 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 look for convenience, right? right? And they look for rewards. And then as long as you know we we have managed to uh, give the customers. Um, the co- the convenience and then inspirational funny
2: fun reward sorry <laughs> not funny fun reward <laughs> then we are competitive yeah. yeah yeah so it's creating I guess for the merchant uh, it's it's rather than just you know new customer acquisition it's really about retention and that is where you know you can really scale the business you can really get those repeat customers that I, you know you don't need to work as hard to keep them to keep them around it gives them one dollar in rewards as opposed to as you said two dollars okay. in cash back. So that's, that's really um, fascinating. And it's a it's really, you know, I think we're at this cool point where right? I think a lot of companies in the space can go in many different directions. And depending on what they're focusing on, what they're optimizing for. But, you know, a lot of companies, as I was saying, you know, those that are in payments that are maybe going into rewards, they have multiple focuses, right? And so for someone like TapTap, maybe it's a little bit easier to just focus on the customer attention and uh, the reward side rather than being distracted by all sorts of other stuff.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, obviously, you know, look in the market, there are some segments that are super bloody. Mm-hmm. I don't like those. I think uh, what uh, we try to focus on is the, you know, the combo, uh, probably less sexy, mm-hmm. um, but still bringing value um, to the business.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. So that's uh, that's hopefully would be a could be a good competitive advantage for us. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Well, so then, well, I have to ask what, like, from a revenue model. Like what does that look like? Are you getting discounts from merchants to offer the loyalty programs or on certain products? Like what is that revenue model look like?
3: For yeah, people? so certainly our model is B two B two C, and our revenue comes from the fee that we charge to merchants. Depending on the uh, partnership model, they're they're different way. So um, it could be a fixed hand fee, it could be a commission, it could be paid by KPI. Currently, we we. Uh, We've been experimenting with, with different models and then we have a uh, different package that could be offered to different businesses. Mm-hmm. The fun part and also the difficult part for the collusion loyalty program is that we have to have the diversity. It both works um, for like multi-sided network in fact, The diversity in the uh, in the merchant pool both helps the merchants and helps the users. Mm-hmm. But then with that diversity, we have to also manage it. And then uh, for us, it's having to, to find an optimal point uh, where okay, we, we have flexibility, but at the same time, it doesn't create too much uh, pressure mm-hmm. on the business. But yeah, it's just how it is. Like if you, I mean, you see coalition that works for airlines mm-hmm. uh, and for hotels, but still, yeah, it, it, it works. Yeah, it, it works because even though it's a same industry, the most of the businesses operate in uh, different areas. So, so for hotel co- Marriott coalition program, right. it connects hotels from many different cities. They still diversity in terms of their businesses don't infringe too much on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with with the coalition, it's quite similar. The diversity. Increases value, but yeah, at the same time, that's a that's an additional complexity right. um, that we will need to manage.
2: Yeah, yeah, that sounds sounds complicated, but also, uh, if you can crack it, if you can get that diversity right, and everyone just sort of like pool their resources, it can be really impactful. And I really like that you've got different partnership models. It sounds like. For small merchants who you know they're optimizing for different things, it's not like you're saying take this one solution, to one size fits all. You're actually sort of able to accommodate different business models, different types of partnerships, which I think is yeah. cool.
3: Yeah, no, I think what um, what we focus, I think uh, what we what we want to leverage on is synergy. Yeah, um, and in a coalition, it's better when people want different things, right? So, so that's how you do a partnership, um, a coalition. We um we work with different merchants who who one who joined it for different purpose. Mm-hmm. And because they have different purpose, it needs to be, you know, the you you need to price where the value is perceived. And that's um, yeah, that's how we we come up with a couple of different models. Yeah. It could be different for
2: each for each merchant. Maybe one well, last question on tap tap for I wanna zoom out a little bit more, is that the branding of Tap Tap uh, is all about fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, your masc- mascot is this cute duck with a lemon head. Yes, uh, it's super cute. And I think the rewards are called Vui. Flu- 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 yeah. Did I get it right. Vui. Yes. Uh, Vui. Which means fun. Yeah. Uh, and you alluded earlier to you know the reward should be fun. Can you tell me a little bit about this like branding and like how consumers think about rewards and this concept of fun and why that is important. In, in the rewards ecosystem. Mm.
3: Yeah, well, I think because when, when people think about rewards, it's like in really think about monetary rewards, right? Mm-hmm. But I think, just have to think that we probably should think about bigger, in the bigger sense of benefits. And if, if we just keep staying with like the vouchers, the discount, obviously they are, they are attractive, they're a great entry point. This is what the market is used to. I think it, it could get old pretty quickly, and also, uh, there's, there's no differentiation. I think people has always looking for non-monetary benefits as well, and probably even now, right after you know a long time mm-hmm. of like being in lockdown, there are so many struggles mentally, emotionally. We wanna, you know, our, our end goal is to bring both the the monetary and the non-monetary rewards, and I think gradually, um, the non-monetary rewards, if you do it right, could create the both the, the branding, the extra rewarding, has become extra rewarding for, for the users, and it's just coming from my own experience, right? So as, as an ex-consultant, I was a big fan of you know, mouth loyalty program and mm-hmm. hotel loyalty program. And yes, I, I love the discount, um, you know, when you get to uh, buy a uh, new tickets from your mouth so you can kind of redeem mm-hmm. the points. But actually the one that is more it makes me stickier uh, to the program. is is a non monetary worth of the extra you know service that we get, and and those makes me feel better, make me feel joy, right? And to us, we want to create that. We want to create that. We want to have the relationship between back uh, to the story loyalty. We want to make the relationship between the user and the brand not just okay, how much, how much, <laughs> how much discount you're gonna give me next time, right? And yeah. um, we want it to be more on the on the non-monetary, on the emotional side, and we want the relationship to be more a relationship. I think that that's a vision, and that's probably reflects the mindset of the of the team as well, and that's also probably reflects the, the culture um, and how how we how we build the team and how we how we as uh, so how we build the branding. It's probably wasn't intentional at first yeah. yeah but then when things just start to click together and you're like okay it seems to be a theme coming up and then things get a
2: little clearer um, with town
1: yeah yeah well,
2: I think you said yeah. it right there's definitely part of Vietnamese culture that is around fun I feel like I've had so yeah. much fun here even in a few days <laughs> you know everything going to like the karaoke bars yeah, and yeah. You know, mm-hmm. eating eating food on the side of the road is, it's, I've had a lot of fun here and I think that that does feel like a big part of the culture and the customer experience of, of TapTap. So that's awesome. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the Vietnam startup scene. Because uh, as you said earlier, things are you know buzzing here. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, really exciting. So maybe for our listeners, let me just share some numbers. So Vietnam's population is about 100 million, making it the 15th most populous country in the world and 7th most populous uh, country in Asia. Some more stats for you. 70% of Vietnam can actually access the internet, which mm-hmm. is pretty significant, and 60% are under the age of 35. So that, this means it's like a huge digital economy and it's actually projected to be the second largest digital economy in Southeast Asia by 2030. I think, you know, when you put all of those stats together, Vietnam really feels like a fertile ground for a thriving startup scene for a lot of innovation. So maybe one you shared a little bit about this earlier um, about all the buzz that's happening here but how would you compare the vietnamese startup scene maybe to other countries in southeast asia or even the us since you've uh spent a lot of time there (laughs) great questions also very difficult (laughs) 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 um i okay i think the
3: main difference i would say is how to say the exuberance Mm -hmm. exuberance because people are uh, very willing to to jump in, and they they don't worry too much about it. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'll and, try. And try to articulate a little more. But it's it's like uh, okay. So let's say the the American startup scene. I would say, although startup is is definitely more mature um, than Vietnam because there's already first of all a lot of big companies filling the all the user need, mm-hmm. um, and then if you want to be a, a successful startup, um, you gotta be. It's my, in my opinion, truly innovative, mm-hmm. right? You gotta really carve out a space for yourself. Um, you gotta create a new market. I think in Vietnam, there's there's still so much unmet needs, mm-hmm. right? And then as long as you first understand what it is, there's still a lot of open space, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of growth. There's still a lot of Market penetration left. Um, So, as long as you identify right and then you can gather a a good team and you can execute it, it it would be okay for you. Or, um, if you would have, you would be on a good path to like acquire funding and acquire your uh, first users, uh, acquire your first partners. I think the hard part uh, of a lot of Vietnamese startups is to scale because, like, you know, it's it's not easy to capture the first the first um, users. Because there's, again, like they're still open. Um, but then there are a lot of different startups trying to, to capture that. And then the question would be who's gonna go big, who's gonna win? And it's just now too early to tell. And then next move from capturing Vietnam market can go to regional. Um, so it's probably that that to me is a, is a key difference. And then uh, from the fabric perspective, there's there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of willingness to risk. I think also from 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 the perspective of the founders, the opportunity cost of starting the startup in Vietnam is low.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: First of all, the foregone salary is nowhere close to the what the you know founders in the States could have could have got. And then secondly, you know, the um, the cost, the you know, office cost, you know, daily cost, mm-hmm. and then the uh, the labor cost is lower. So yes the the barrier of starting a, a new business here is is quite low. And then with that, you, you, a lot of people are, are willing to jump in, and and that's great. Like people who jump in to, to gain experience, uh, people jump in to define the market. And then it's, it's a lot of it's a lot just like there's a lot of excitement. Um, and then you, you you certainly benefit from it, right? You, you benefit from people who's, who's who's willing, who's so courageous, right? To, to try something new that they they don't know of. and then who has this sky high optimism. And right or wrong is still creates a lot of energy and then as long as great values, um,
2: that's great. It's great for people. Yeah, yeah. I'm like energized just listening
3: to you laugh. <laughs> that's
2: awesome. And I think um, you know, as you said earlier, there are actually already quite a few unicorns in Vietnam. Uh, you know, there's I guess on the fintech side there's VNPay, Pay, yep. uh, Momo mm-hmm. and that are on the payment side. And then of course everybody and I think those those two are really focused on the Vietnam market. Yep. But then, you know, everyone's heard of Sky Mavis, which is, Vietnam yes. you know, the developers behind Axie Infinity. And they've gone not just regional, but global. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, what does that mean for you when you think about TapTap and the rest of the startup ecosystem? Do you think that startups should really be looking at the Vietnam market first, crack it, because it is such a huge market, it is such like a, such fertile ground? Or, you know, should, should Vietnamese startups be thinking about the region? How do you think about it?
3: I, I think it depends on the startup. Um, it's like typical consulting <laughs> answer, but I do think that it depends, right? So whether the solutions work uh, with like whether that solutions would vary a lot based on the customers, or whether it, it could be standardized and it could work across different cultures or different you know ecosystem structure. Yeah, so I think for example, a, a B2C startup, I they do think that they should focus on a customer segment that you know as well. Um, and then Vietnam customer segment is it's actually, it's, I mean, not saying it's easy, but it's open. Um, Vietnamese, as you say, is uh, digital focused um, and also quite open to, to new solutions. So yes, so for, for certain startups that, that, you know, the, the culture and the local, Aspects matter. Then I, I do think it's helpful to to capture the Vietnam market because, first of all, it's not that hard. Uh, sorry, not easy to to capture, right? Like there's still a lot of other competitors, and also that that hopefully would create the the foundation, the operations, um, the expertise that would help uh, when they expand uh, regionally, and also the investors trust, etc., etc. For some other business that focus, say for example, technology, like those that are less impacted by the culture, um, by the preference, et cetera, then and it also, you know, sometimes you know some certain niche technology, very few businesses in Vietnam uh, can either afford or understand, then obviously it's probably easier for them to expand regionally soon, um, so that they, they gain the um, the expertise across different markets. And then that could help also bring back the knowledge back to educate the Vietnamese. Yeah, so for example, I would say, for example, some business focusing on data analytics, etc. Like a lot of business in Vietnam, even the bigger ones, have have a hard time organizing their own data and don't have the infrastructure to work on it. And it's probably um, probably easier for those businesses to expand regionally and then bring the expertise back to, to build the Vietnam market. For Tata, we because we are b B two B to C, so we focus first on the on the
2: Vietnam market. Yeah, um, that that goal makes sense, yeah. you know, sense. And you alluded to this a little bit on is also the funding environment that also probably plays like a pretty pretty big role in uh, you know how the businesses here, the startups here can can grow. And you know there've been some global funds like GIC from Singapore, um, SoftBank that are getting involved in Vietnam, which is super exciting. Um, and but, but there's also, to me, it seems like there's a really strong local investment scene there's a lot of local VCs. I can quickly think of, let's see, Mekong, Ascend, Dragon Capital, I think IDG is another one. So some of these are like a local Vietnamese VCs. Can you talk a little bit about how the local the local VCs are uh, engaging with the market, maybe as compared to some of the, the regional or international VCs that are here?
3: yeah. Well, first of all, I oh, agree. Anyway. <laughs> I would love to um, talk to any of the investors out yeah. there, regional, local. Um, Get them all on your yeah. table. <laughs> well, I do think that the, um, obviously, I mean, the local ones have um, a bit different network and also the value add to, to the startups. But a lot of the local ones are uh, either hired or run by you know, people who have uh, experience abroad. So, yeah, so in my in my view, I don't see a clear difference. Mm-hmm. I think it's as, as more of, you know, just a, the investment focus. Um, so certain regional one, you know, comes in to us this very clear focus of who they want to look for. Like they they sort of like oh, already have a loyalty winner that they think it would be winning in, you know, um, Indonesia, for example. Um, they want to... They, they, then they don't look for another one in Indonesia. They want to look for one who could potentially be in Vietnam to to uh, complete their portfolio, etc. So I think it's it's mostly um, the different focus um, of these funds that could make the difference. Other than that, from, from my perspective, I don't see a very clear difference um, mm-hmm. between the between the different options. I mean, obviously there are differences in ticket size, mm-hmm. um, different in evaluation process, but those are more you know individual. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, like different in stage, different in taste. But I guess
2: it's more individual versus like a group of regional versus local. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. So probably same as a lot of other places in Southeast Days where you've got a local scene but you know, it doesn't mean that they only focus on one stage or one ticket size or one type of company. It's still uh lots of room for for all sorts of investors to get <laughs> help. Yeah. I, I do want to also ask that, like there are other stakeholders here too, right? There's the government, there's also big corporates, which are also um, you know quite powerful in Vietnam. How do those stakeholders engage with the startup community? Are they making it easier? Or are they making it harder? Like how um, how do you think about tap especially working with government or you know, big corporate players uh, as you scale?
3: To be honest, I haven't thought much about it. Um, it's probably not yet the the time. Um I do think that the big corporates are certainly great customers uh for, for startups. Bunch of them do have some funds to invest in the startup. They certainly, you know, potentially uh, acquire. The I think for from my perspective, like the the big corporates in Vietnam certainly have a very, very great coverage of customers of um, location, geography. So so they are like very attractive partners to all the startups in Vietnam. I think and then it's usually when you do startup, you don't you don't try to touch on the area where the big corporate is already strong right? Easily you try to touch on other areas and you go for collaboration. Um usually the collaboration comes from that you bring in the technology capabilities. Um, and you need to be capable of working with their system and, and those two would be probably the first key things that any startup would have to sort out um, before they, they could think about working with the, with the big corporates. Right? I think if eventually eventually the if the start want to scale for, for the especially B2B startups and they, they would need to, to be able to, to work on one of the, one of the big corporates because otherwise um, it would be a quite fragmented. Um, for, yes. for 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 the business. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think for now like at least at the, the yeah I haven't thought much about this, but just from from, from what I see, at least from the tap tap perspective, I do see that we, we do need we do need to eat and um, to to have a partnership with the big corporates and only then is a is a is a more reliable defensive position right, right. Um, competitive advantage that we could have because otherwise, you know the market in Vietnam very; it, it could be fragmented, yeah. Um, and, and also the uh, the economy environment could
2: change very rapidly. But but the big corporate will be there to stay. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a good thing that the UOB is uh, you know part of yes. your uh, your DNA. Uh, that's awesome. My last question for you is really you know what are you most excited about for TapTap and for the Vietnam startup scene in the next five years? Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> There are a lot of things to <laughs> be excited about. I you just pick
2: a couple. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think for for TapTap itself, uh, we're brewing some exciting uh, partnerships. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everyday is is still there are a lot of things you got to sort out. Things like I feel like for a startup, like there are times things go smooth and then you're like wait a little too smooth and then obviously there's something that. Um, get a um you get it untangled. But yes, we um we are preparing to launch a big partnership in uh in machine city. Um so it's very excited about it. The team's been working on it for a while. So um so that that's really exciting. But I think on the bigger scale when you talk about five years. I I do hold Tap Top and with other uh with A good number of uh, startups in Vietnam could reach the regional status and uh, as you come from Grab, it it becomes a household name. Vietnam hasn't had any startup that managed to become a household name regionally. And there there are a lot of reasons for that, but uh, I don't see why not. In the next five years, we have a couple names that, you know, even though it's, it's founded in Vietnam, become a household name in Singapore, the same way as Grab is becoming a household name in Vietnam now. And I think with that it would create a generation of of happy. people here tapping. Oh, yeah. um, a generation of like um, people who are um, who has experience and who have gained the skill and the expertise and the capability to to scale a um, any company regionally regardless of whether they work or not. I think that, to me, is is also very attractive, right? In terms of like building the the next generation, who knows, some of them could be a um, a startup that not even, like the dream isn't just regional, the dream is global, right? Yeah, so.
2: Who knows, It might come early, It might come later. Yeah, that's great. Lon. I am looking forward to Tap Tap becoming a household name yes. um, in Southeast Asia, perhaps across the globe, sure. and a whole new generation of Tappies mm-hmm. to uh, to be building awesome some things here. I think that's, uh, that's, that's really great. So, Lon, yeah, thank you so much for being your guest. This has been so fun. Uh, I think that's all the time we have for today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank uh, you for having Dave. me. Of course. It's great. Yeah, hope to see you again soon. Sure. <laughs>
0: And now a word from our sponsors.
2: Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancus. Brancus is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide Uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the green room with amrita veer listen to us on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates if you've enjoyed this podcast we would also really appreciate you leaving us five stars and a review and if you know anyone who would be a great guest or have any feedback reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com we would love to hear from you catch you later